Welcome to the Salt Lake Christian Center podcast. We're a network of language churches worshiping together as one. It is our prayer that this message will be a blessing and encouragement to your life. Now, join us for one of our weekly sermons. Lord, I thank you for your presence, your direction, your wisdom, your guidance to Salt Lake Christian Center, to its board, to its leadership. And Lord, I pray that as we walk through this last sermon and what you have laid on my heart about it's about time, and we walk to the end of the book of Revelation, that Lord, you will birth in all of us expectation and anticipation. Lord, we're facing a world that we have no idea where this world is going except to hell. And that burdens our heart, Lord. So I pray, God, that you will give us the expectation and the anticipation of eternity. Eternity in heaven, eternity with you. But may it motivate us, O oh Lord, to win the lost, to get one more person in to enjoy that with us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So this will be the last in the series that we've been following, um, not closely, not uh, exegetically through the book of Revelation, but using the book of Revelation as a foundation about what is, going, what is taking place, what's going to take place, what's going to happen. And in that course, I decided to end that, uh, or in that, that series of sermons, I decided to end that series of sermons with what I have entitled a guide to survival of end times because we are in the end times and they're either a thousand years off or they're tomorrow. But this is the end times and it's obvious that we're going to face some, some difficult ideas. You know, what, what has, uh, what's taken place is that there were in public schools administration, there were abstract ideas that the, the Christian church has battled with for 50 years. And these abstract ideas were just that. They were abstract. They were, you know what abstract is? Uh, abstract or concrete. If, um, if, if you're the difference between abstract and concrete would be a Picasso painting have you ever seen a Picasso painting? And what you're supposed to do is sit there and look at it and say, oh, oh, such beauty. Wow. Or you can go to a, a, uh, a painter who paints not in the abstract, but in real time. Okay, and he paints this, this landscape picture, and it is minute in detail. And so the difference between abstract and concrete, you can see that in the painting. And so there have been in, the, in uh, American education and Western education underlying ideas since the late 50s and into the 60s 
of abstract ideas of releasing all bounds, that, that there is no, uh, there's no objective truth, there's, there's only subjective truth, and that means it's your truth and my truth, and wherever they meet, wherever they meet, then we just decide, that's your truth, this is my truth, and we just try to live on that. And the abstract truth of throwing off all bounds, especially in sexuality, that there, there can be no, and so, and so if you're going to go after those objective truths, there's one organization in the, in the Western world that you're going to have to get rid of, right? And that is the Christian church. That is the believing Christian church. That is a Christian church that's going to stand up at school board meetings. That's a Christian church that's going to stand up at legislature meetings. That is the Christian church that's going to stand up and say, no, you will not control my children like that. And so all of this has been abstract for over 50 years as it's been building underneath and school boards, putting people on school boards without the knowledge, without parental involvement, then the school boards have been able to bring this about. I, one of the things that I got from my dad was several files of newspaper articles. And he was an extensive filer. And he had, I don't know how many uh, files of newspaper articles. And he was on he was on the, the board of the Eagle Forum and uh, years ago when he pastored here. And, and as I was looking through those files one day, I come across an article that, that they were talking about sex education in the public schools. And that was in 1972. And in that book, it was, they had drawings and they had pictures that were more suited for today than for back then. And, and so there, they, there was a big uh, um, ideal that raised up against them and said, you're not going to do this in our schools. You're not putting that book entitled Show Me with, with child pornography in that. So that was in 1972. So this has been an abstract idea for over 50 years and more. And then all of a sudden, a couple of years ago, it all came very clear that it was not an abstract idea. It was a concrete idea that there were people on school boards. There were people in, in positions and places of authority that had been working underhanded for, for over 50 years to eventually get us to the place where we would accept pedophilia or that we would accept grooming or that we would accept NAMBA National Association of Man Boy Love and 
and all of a sudden it has hit the news and the world. And all of a sudden we've realized these are not abstract ideas. These people actually believe these ideas. Now, the title of my message this morning is It's Time to Choose. It's time to make a choice. And we've been talking about the end time survival, about look up and look at, with all of this taking place. Remember, they're not in charge. God's in charge. Remember his steadfast love, his transcendence, his holiness, his awesomeness, his sovereignty. Remember he is still here. Remember his omnipresence. He is everywhere present, but he's also manifestly present in our worship service on Sunday mornings. Every one of them. And then last week we talked about he still speaks. Are you listening? God is speaking to us. And, and what's happening with, with Christian people that all of a sudden have come to the realization of what's taking place is the Holy Spirit is giving us the authority and the power and the courage to stand up and say no. Just like my dad did when he when I was a young man and he said, son, I want you to know. This is my house. My house, my rules. If you didn't have a dad like that, I'm really sorry. I'm serious. I'm really sorry. My house, my rules. And you will not bring sin into this house. There will be, this house is a safe place. This house is a place where the Holy Spirit dwells. And you will not bring sin into this house. So where am I going to sleep? He says, how about down to second south under the bridge? Serious. So, so what's, a, what's amazing is that God is speaking. You just don't hear about it in the news of Christians. Uh, of course, the, Christ, the progressive Christian church has already surrendered to the, uh, to say because, well, we want to keep contact with them. And so, and, 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 and so those people are hating. Listen, I want you to know something. I do not hate anyone. And I don't want to hate anyone. And I don't want anybody discriminated against. I'm not for discrimination. But I'm for the rights of parents to be able to say, not in my house. And not in my school. And you won't do that with my children. And so, so um, right now, when, when we look through the, the scriptures, and we're going to go to Re Revelation chapter 22, which is the last chapter in the Bible, because I want you to hear this morning at the end of this series of messages, who wins in the last chapter. And as we go through that, we, we see that last week we talked about chapter 18 in Revelation, and that was uh, the, the fall of the nations that had followed the Antichrist and the beast. And, and then we see the worship in heaven in chapter 19, uh, an incredible worship service. Now that's our fifth worship service that we've seen going through the book of Revelation. And then we see what's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. In chapter 19, which is the marriage of Jesus Christ to his bride. Who is the bride of Christ? Yeah. 
the church, the body of Christ. And so there's a marriage that takes place in heaven. And then we go into chapter 20 and John the Revelator talks to us about the millennial kingdom, the thousand years of peace when Satan is bound and Jesus rules the government on the earth in chapter number 20 of Revelation. And then at that chapter 20 ends with Satan's final defeat and the great white throne judgment. You have already been judged. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal savior, you have no reason to be in fear of the great white throne judgment because your sin has already been settled. And then we hit chapter 21 and it talks about a new heaven and a new earth that after, after everything that's taken place in Revelation that we've talked about and, and all of the, the, the destruction and so forth, then we hear that Jesus, that God through the power of his son, Jesus is going to create a new world, a new earth and a new heaven. And then we close chapter 21 with the new messianic temple in Jerusalem. That there's going to be a, Jerus a, a temple that is built by Messiah in Jerusalem. And chapter number 21 gives us the measurements of that temple. It also tells us what's going to be in the temple. And there will not be a candlestick because Jesus is the light. There will not be a table of showbread because Jesus is the bread of life. And then we come to chapter number 22. Please stick with me because I want to read this whole chapter. It's the last chapter. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. This is the, this is the new heavens and new earth, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and there will be no more night. They will need no light of, of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Go ahead and keep that up there. I'm getting to it. Okay. These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And we're now on verse number eight. John, I, John, and the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers and the prophets. And with those who keep the words of this book, worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book for the time is near. Let the evildoers still do evil and the filthy still be filthy and the righteous still do right and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Look up. 
to the God who is the first and the last. He spoke it into existence and he'll speak a new heaven and a new earth into existence. And the Alpha and Omega, first and last, the beginning and the end, blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may be enter the city of angels. Now stick with me outside. This is going on to verse 15. It's not up there. Outside are the dogs, sorcerers, sexually immoral, murderers, idolaters, and everyone who practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David the bright morning star, the spirit and the bride say, come and let the one who hears say, come and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book and the prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. He who testifies of these things says, surely I am coming soon. Come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. I've told you about going to the Western Wall when we go to Israel and we'll go back there next November and, and we go to the Western Wall and walk up to that western wall and there are always Jews, Orthodox Jews, and they're standing against their wall and, and they fill the whole, the whole portico of the western wall, but then they work their way up to the front and they're just praying, come Messiah, come Messiah, come Messiah, come Messiah. That's what they're praying for, for the Messiah to come. They don't realize the Messiah has already come, but he will come again and redeem them also. And they will be a part of the church of Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 22, verse number 17 tells us that you have a decision to make. You have a decision because the spirit and the bride says, come, and let whoever hears it come. And let the one who's thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the life of take water of life without price come. So, in other words, Jesus is standing there and saying to a lost and dying world and, the, and his bride, saying, Come. But it's your decision, Revelation. Chapter three says, I stand at the door and knock and it's up to you to open that door. You see, in the times of God's people, there are times where God called for a decision. Where God stopped everything taking place and he called, make a decision. You decide God is calling this nation to a decision. God is calling the progressive church to a decision. God is calling his church, the bride, to a decision. Moses comes down from Mount Sinai after he has been in the presence of the Lord and he hears and sees what's happening down in the valley and Aaron has decided to build a golden calf and then tell the nation of Israel, this is your God that brought you out of Egypt. 
and Moses comes down and he sees what's taking place and we read what Moses says to them in Exodus chapter 32 and verse number 26. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and he said, he's looking at this party taking place. Demonic worship. And Moses stands in the gate of the camp and says, who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. There are times when God stops the process and makes us make a decision. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him. Before they go to the promised land, as Moses is in his final stages of life, before they go into the promised land, once again in Deuteronomy chapter 30, in verse number 19, Moses says to them, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life. And you and your offspring may live. Choose life. Loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers. Just after that's written, then Joshua starts into the promised land. And Joshua himself brings the congregation together. All of the children of Israel will read about it in Joshua chapter 8. And verse number 33, in all Israel... Sojourner as well as native born with their elders and officers and their judges stood on opposite sides of the ark before the Levitical priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Half of them in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, the mountains of blessing and cursing. Just as Moses, a servant of the Lord, commanded at first to bless the people of Israel. So Joshua is starting in to take the land and he says, listen, all of you out there, it may have been a million people, maybe even more. He's saying it's come time for you to make a choice. It's time for you to make a choice. Your fathers made a choice and they died in the wilderness. Now the choice is yours. Joshua comes to his farewell address. They've taken the land. And if it's evil in your eyes to serve Joshua 24, 15... He calls them once again to make a decision. And if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But now listen to this. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. God, give us a nation of men in the church, in the body of Christ that will make a bold stand that says in this house, we will serve the Lord. David says, who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. Elijah, after Israel's following other gods and God calls calls Elijah, 1 Kings chapter 18. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you go on limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal, then follow him. 
You know why I'm saying this? I'm saying this because God is calling us to a decision. Not just, the, not just this church, although it is this church, but he's calling the body of Christ, the progressive body of Christ. He's calling a nation to say, it's time you make a choice. Jesus talked about that there is a fork in the road. And that fork in the road, we're all going to come to. That fork in the road, Matthew chapter 7 says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to light. And those who find it are few. Are you hearing me this morning? I know this isn't a Christ that the progressive Christianity wants to teach about, but this is the Christ who paid for your life and your sins on the cross. And he had a choice to make and he'd made the right choice. And now he's asking you to make a choice. And that choice is the narrow way or the wide and broad way. You know, at that point, at that point of decision, God always puts a roadblock to get you to stop. Because the decision is yours. You are not going to slip into heaven or slip into hell. This is the way C.S. Lewis described it. There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done and those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell chose it. Without that self-choice, there could be no hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek will find it. God puts a roadblock in your path. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Several years ago, and I've told this story before, but several years ago, I was um, working. And, and in North Salt Lake, I came up a, a street that, that I would uh, go up quite frequently. And... I got up to the railroad tracks and it was closed and it had all these barriers and so forth. And there's a guy sitting there in his pickup and I just pulled up there and turned around and he got out of his, and I just kind of stopped, kind of confused. And he got out of his truck and he walked over to the side of my truck and, and he says, roads closed, dude. And I said, really? Well, why didn't you put a sign way back down there? Now I'm quoting him, homie, it's right there. And I turned around and looked and sure enough, in fact, that sign covered the whole roadway. I swear I did not see it. And I drove around it to get up to where I needed to go. It said road closed. So here's this broad way that God puts a roadblock in and you drive around it. Maybe you don't, but I did. 
Paul says in Philippians chapter number three, verse number seven, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Jesus, my Lord, for his sake, I have suffered loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. You can go ahead on the broad way to destruction and you can be what you want to be. Get your best life now. Go ahead. Go get it. But there is a narrow way. And that narrow way, the only ones that go on that are the ones that say, I will lose everything to gain Christ. If that's what it takes, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. How bad do you want to know him? You see, we always have this discussion between free will and the sovereignty of God. So we talked several weeks ago about the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign over everything. God doesn't ask you and he doesn't wait for you to tell him what he want, what he should be doing. You read in the Bible, every time somebody tells him what he should be doing, God laughs. Oh, really? You know, Abraham was promised a son and the son didn't come. 25 years later, saying, well, I don't, uh, when's this going to happen? So Sarah tells him, well, maybe it's not supposed to happen with you. It's supposed to happen with me. So you go into my handmaiden and you can have a, you can have a son by my handmaiden. And Abraham says, I'll do it. The Arabs are born. And then this is 25 years later, sorry, 25 years later, then the Jews are born you know what, God, I'm just going to help you out just a little bit here. I'm, I'm going to help you out. You see, there is no problem with your free will. You have the choice and you are to choose. You're not a robot and God's not going to make you a robot. If you don't want God and you don't want the things of God, he won't force them on you. You put up your hand and you say, I'm had it, I'm done, I'm through with all of this, I don't want anything to do with it. God will say, your will be done. But God's calling for a decision. And that decision he's calling us to. Here's the decision. We talked about this a few weeks ago and I'm gonna finish it this way. Proverbs chapter three, beginning with verse number five. Here's the only decision you need to make. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding in all, what's that mean? All your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. You see, trust is the most valuable asset you have. You hear me? Trust is the most valuable asset you have in relationship. And if you break trust, you don't have a relationship. And it takes a lot of work to rebuild trust. 
There isn't anybody sitting here who doesn't understand that, that someone has broken your trust or maybe you've broken someone else's trust. And it's a, it's a big job and, and it takes some brutal honesty to earn that trust back. But what Solomon is saying is there is one you can trust who will never break the trust. Trust the Lord. You can place your trust in him. Now, which Lord are we talking about? We're talking about that same Lord that we sang about this morning. How great is our God. It's that God. It's that God that holds the observable universe in the palm of his hand. It's that God that is sovereign. He asks no one what he should do. That is the Lord that he's asking you to put your trust in. Don't put your trust in me. I may fail you, but you put your trust in him and he'll never fail you. In that Lord. And then he says, with all your heart. You hearing this? Trust him. The Lord is awesome, great God with all of your heart. Listen, we're in a society right now where it's going to take only the ones that will survive are those that are all in. It's time that we get all in. It's time that we to say, say, I'm not going to leave a little chips out. Of, well, I'm sorry, I was gambling. I don't need to talk about that. I'm just going to leave a little part of this out here, and I'm going to keep this back here just in case something happens. Listen, if there's ever been a time that our nation needs you and that our church needs you, we need people that are all in. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And don't lean to your own understanding. Amen? About two years ago, I preached a message from Dale. Dale gave me this message. He wasn't here when I preached it. So I'm going to tell Dale what he told me to say at that service. This man over here is a wonderful friend of mine. And he's a wonderful friend of my dad's. And my dad... And I used to go with Dale and his father up into the high Uintas riding horses. And we'd pack up, pack in these horses, and then we'd get off and go fishing and so forth. And Dale was always the guy that led us around. So one time he led us to this, to this path. And we're going out, coming back out with our horses and fish and all of that. And... He comes to this, this path or this trail that's called the Shell Dugway. Right? <laughs> so we stop before we go on this path. And this path is just a path about this wide. <laughs> now, it's actually this wide. Is it wider than that? <laughs> okay. Okay. It's actually this wide, but it looks this wide. And... We stop before we go over it, and I remember the instructions that Dale gave us. Okay, when you get in the saddle, drop the reins. Take your feet out of the stirrups and hang on. 
let your horse follow the horse in front of you. And Dale has this horse that's been over it a thousand times. And, and so here we all get on and Dale heads up that way. And all those, all those horses put their head down and just followed that trail. If you're looking down that way, it's about what? 200 feet to the river? <laughs> Pretty close. Well, 185 feet to the river. The amazing thing is, is that what, what he's afraid of is you're going to try to direct that horse and that horse knows what he's doing and he's following somebody, he's following a horse that's been through it enough times. You don't want your feet in the stirrups or it happened to slip and go down. You can jump off. <laughs> Amen. Lean not to your own understanding. Drop the reins, take your feet out of the stirrups and follow the horse. Acknowledge him. Are you conscious of his presence? Kathy, I have looked forward to saying this for three years. Would you come to the piano, please? Now, what I used to say is, will you come and get me out of this? And she told me to never say that again. So I'm not going to say that. <laughs> now, listen to what he says. He says that he will make, listen, listen to this. He says he will make straight your paths. He didn't say that he would make a straight path for you. He said he will take your path and make it straight. <laughs> Boy, that's what I need God to do. You know, I'm always looking off over here and, well, man, hey, let's try this. Let's go do this. Let's, oh, how about over here? And so my path just kind of goes like this. And God says, you know what? Trust in me with all your heart. Don't lean to your own understanding. Acknowledge me and I'll make all of those paths end up where they're supposed to end up. Amen. I want to read a, just before we close, I want to read a, a uh, article that's called The Choice. I read this article years ago, probably 25 years ago. And for some reason it came up in my uh, note-taking app. And I want to read it for you. It's called The Choice. Listen carefully. It's quiet. It's written by Max Lucado. It's quiet. It's early. My coffee is hot. The sky is still black. The world is still asleep. The day is coming. In a few moments, the day will arrive and it will roar down the track with a rising sun. The stillness of the dawn will be exchanged for the noise of the day. The calm of solitude will be replaced by the pounding pace of the human race. The refuge of the early morning will be invaded by decisions to be made and deadlines to be met. For the next 12 hours, I will be exposed to the, day, to the day's demands. It is now that I must make a choice. Because of Calvary, I'm free to choose. 
And so I choose. May I choose love. No occasion justifies hatred. No injustice warrants bitterness. I choose love. Today I will love God and what God loves. I choose joy. I will invite my God to be the God of circumstance. I will refuse the temptation to be cynical, the tool of the lazy thinker. I will refuse to see people as anything less than human beings created by God. I will refuse to see any problem as anything less than an opportunity to see God. I choose peace. I will live forgiven and I will forgive so that I may live. I choose patience. I will overlook the inconveniences of the world. Instead of cursing the one who takes my place, I'll invite him to do so. That was specifically for me. Rather than complain that the wait is too long, I will thank God for a moment to pray. Instead of clenching my fists at new assignments, I will face them with joy and courage. I choose kindness. I will be kind to the poor for they are alone, kind to the rich for they are afraid, and kind to the unkind for such is how God has treated me. I choose goodness. I will go without a dollar before I take a dishonest one. I will be overlooked before I will boast. I will confess before I will accuse. I choose goodness. I choose faithfulness. Today I will keep my promises. Editors will not regret their trust. My associates will not question my word. My wife will not question my love. And my children will never fear that their father will not come home. I choose gentleness. Nothing is won by force. I choose to be gentle. If I raise my voice, may it be only in praise. If I clench my fist, may be it only in prayer. If I make them a demand, may it be only of myself. I choose self-control. I am a spiritual being. After this body is dead, my spirit will soar. I refuse to let what will rot rule the eternal. I choose self-control. I will be drunk only by joy. I will be impassioned only by my faith. I will be influenced only by God. I will be taught only by Christ. I choose self-control. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. To these I commit my day. If I succeed, I will give thanks. If I fail, I will seek his grace. And then when this day is done, I will place my head on my pillow and rest.